Hello and welcome to episode 87 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now coming up on today's episode, I'm joined by the singer, songwriter, drummer and guitarist of the amazing band False Advertising, Jen Hingley. It's someone that I've wanted on the podcast ever since I got to hear the album, I think about six months ago called Brain Freeze, which I think is fucking awesome. It was a previous recommendation on my old podcast, Skip the End, and it's one of those albums I listen to solidly and never get bored of. It really is an album full of singles, in my opinion. Every single song is that good. So yes, that's me recommending it. But it's also someone I'm really, really fond of, and I think they're an amazing songwriter, and I'm thrilled that they're going to be on to today's episode. But also what I like to do, and you know this by now, is talk about my previous guest. So on the last episode, I was joined by the actor Alex Winter, What a huge episode this was. It was absolutely massive. I expected big numbers, but then when I released it, we also got the trailer for Bill and Ted Free. And honestly, the timing was absolutely perfect. It was one of my most downloaded episodes. A massive thank you for him sharing it and Ed Solomon and other people that are promoting Bill and Ted sharing this interview. And it really does mean the world. It's been my most downloaded episode I've ever done. And it also got number one in the interview and TV and film charts. So thank you to everyone that took the time to listen. It really does mean the world. But what I want to do now is get on to today's episode. So as I said, I'm joined by Jen from the incredible band False Advertising. So I think what we should do now is get straight to that interview and I hope you all enjoy. Thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Thanks for having me. What I want to do is basically take it right back to the start. When you were growing up, I want to know what those early albums were that you bought and you were listening to that kind of shaped the music that you listen to now. I think it all happened around the age of 10 and 11. I grew up in like a cul-de-sac in a town called Didcot um, down south. And my next door neighbour, Django, um, who's awesome, he like moved there. All of the kind of kids down our street, um, there were about, it was like me, my sister, a, f- a few others, there were about, I don't know, five or six of us. We used to kind of congregate and play Nintendo 64 in Django's room. He was like the host, because um, I think his parents were kind of cool with it. And we used to listen to, and it's all down to him, um, albums like The Colour and the Shape by the Foo Fighters, like when it came out. Mark, Tom and Travis show by Blink-182 as well and probably loads of others that I'm forgetting and like playing um, GoldenEye and um, WWF Wrestling and I think Smash Brothers as well but that that era of game, well, Nintendo 64, it was probably only like a really short time but in my head it's like me like borrowing those albums and um, copying them onto cassette at the time because didn't have a CD player yet. Um, but CD players existed, I'm not that old. And then like listening to those albums like in the car, like when like when my family went on holiday or like anywhere at the weekends or whatever. That kind of was the thing. I think it was like the first the first music I chose to listen to kind of without my parents' blessing almost. Before yeah. that, I'm really lucky to have grown up in quite a musical family and music was always there and um my parents were always in, like playing awesome records in the car and things like that. So like even younger than that, my parents were kind of, I was lucky to have cool parents that liked 
bands like Daft Punk and the like, um, like would play um, Bjork albums and like, those like early Bjork albums we listened to quite a lot. Like when I was, I don't know, like five, wow. five to ten sort of era, and really into the Beatles and things like that. So I was like really lucky to always grow up with music around me. And my my dad really likes bands like um, like Yes and um, funk bands and things like, like Brothers Johnson and stuff like that. So we, me and my sister as kids always had like music to listen to or we were made to listen to music rather um but we did enjoy it very much so so yeah i'd say it's kind of saturated with music from a very young age but then i suppose when i was about 11 that's when i started sort of realizing oh this music exists that i'm really excited about and then that was also the era like about 2001 when we got cable tv and um we had kerrang i think and and MTV2 and maybe another channel. And it was like all of those bands in like 2001 became really exciting. If you if you like new metal and you're a kid, that's quite exciting. <laughs> so that kind of, um, for me, led me down that path. And then, um, and then I ended up discovering bands that I, I really like, like all of um, the kind of post-hardcore stuff and things like 100 Reasons and Ruben ultimately. Yeah. And um, it kind of, organically led me down that path i think like zane lowe's show on mtv2 was i remember watching gonzo and things like that and watching biffy and then discovering that sort of world kind of that way as well so yeah i'm, I'm pretty similar those sort of bands were like those cave in and 100 reasons hell is for heroes biffy Clyro, yeah. all those bands that came along and i miss those days of being able to stick on mtv and discovering bands now it's all just shows like the kardashians and shit like <laughs> that and there's no actual music um yeah I, I relied on that so heavily i used to sit there and zane Lowe would i remember ruben being on there and thinking fucking hell they've made it and like he was always bigging them up and i just think it's a shame now that there's not that kind of platform for bands to get heard yeah i think i think there are there are platforms but i i loved that era of time i think yeah. it was it seemed like a really effective way of getting getting to an audience it certainly worked for me as an audience member yeah um but but yeah i don't know i don't know it was, it was really fun and yeah that that couch and i remember that that ruben <laughs> that ruben one fondly <laughs> amazing so those are the sort of great bands that have shaped the bands that you listen to now and i'm sure the bands that you've played with but what was one of the first gigs you went to when you realized like the impact of what live music's like from listening on tape or cd to then thinking wow it's it's there in front of me this is this is a whole new level i the first proper gig I ever went to was, I think, when I was 13. Basically, I went through my whole life, only ever seeing my dad play in his band at pubs and occasionally going to the odd kind of outdoor festival. Like, I remember going to truck festival when I was about six or seven because my dad was playing, cool. which was cool. Um, and so that was a really kind of fun experience. But that, that festival's changed so much from those days when it was just like literally a truck <laughs> and, a, and the Rotary Club um, serving like bacon baps but um, but yeah it's nice to kind of seen that where that kind of came from but um, I think the, the first gig I ever went to it was it was it was family again again as I said I came from a really musical family my uncle's band reformed he's the singer or he was the singer in a band called the Inspiral Carpets oh right they're awesome massive obviously yeah. like in the 90s and stuff um, so they reformed I think in like 2003 or something like that 
um, and played Brixton Academy. So that was my first ever going to a gig experience um, properly. And that, that kind of blew my mind, like just because Brixton Academy is amazing. And it was just such an in insane atmosphere. Like I knew, I knew what gigs were like on paper, obviously I was a music fan. I'd always wanted to go to one and kind of, kind of going to that. I, I realized, even though it was like with my family, which it wasn't that cool, but I think my parents were a bit, bit like, you're not old enough yet to kind of do all these things. But then, but then shortly what they, I think they realized in the, the sort of year or so after that, that, that my sister and I were maybe responsible enough to go to gigs. Um, my sister's a year older than me, so kind of similar, similar sort of age group. And then after that, I remember, I remember just going to so many gigs. Um, I remember, can't remember like what order or exactly what age I was, but ended up going to the Oxford Zodiac quite a lot. Um, and seeing bands like Taking Back Sunday, I remember seeing there. I remember seeing In Me, that was, that was kind of one of those bands that quite liked at the time. I, I definitely saw Biffy quite a lot um, yeah. in those sorts of days. I ended up getting into like a different sort of wave of music or a more sort of definitive wave of music when I was around the age of 15 and 16 because I got really into the band Fightstar and yeah. I also was getting into web design at the time and I ended up building a fan site for them which was like one of the first graphic design things I ever did um, and then running a forum which ended up putting me in touch with all of these these people in like the music community at like that young age and of course introducing me to all of these other bands that existed in a sort of similar world so that's how I ended up getting into bands like Biffy Clyro and Ruben I think um, because or if I if I hadn't have found them on MTV2 anyway um, that that kind of community around music that existed and went to those gigs certainly would have point me, pointed me in that direction eventually anyway um, so yeah I ended up going to London quite a lot when I was 16, going to going to see bands like Ruben, going to see Biffy again. Basically, Ruben and Biffy Clyro were like the bands I saw as yeah. much as possible. I'm the which, same. Yeah. In my opinion, Race Car is Race Car Backwards is probably my favourite album of all time. I'm, I, I'm really weird. <laughs> I love that album so much that I have learned it on piano. Well, nice. When I was 16, I learned it on piano. And recently, <laughs> for the, um, like, I think, unless it all goes totally wrong and I get really scared. I'm going to do a live stream of me playing it on oh, wow. the day that, uh, on one of the days that 2000 Trees would have been on as like a sort of, I wish I was at Camp Ruben type exercise. So oh, um, awesome. yeah, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> but I, I absolutely love that album. It's insane. It's so yeah, good. It's, it's perfect. So, so you're watching these amazing bands. You're listening to some amazing bands as well. At what point is it that you think I want to do this? I want to pick up a guitar or I want to sing. When does that kind of hit you at what age? I think I always wanted to be a musician. I can't really remember not having this strange vision that it would end up happening. I, again, like coming from a musical family and being lucky enough and spoiled by especially my dad in that he really wanted me and my sister to play music and would really really encourage us to do so so um i remember going to record a club like when my sister like like watching my sister play and sort of like sitting in the corner 
when I when I was like really really tiny and ended up the first instrument I ever properly played was violin which I started when I was five and kind of kept going until I left secondary school so that kind of was always there I went to music school but but there's there's kind of like a difference between my parents if you'd have asked me at the time I'd be like they're forcing me to go to music school and things like that but at the time at the time I didn't really see it for the yeah. kind of exciting um useful thing that I do now um I sort of saw it as being forced into doing something that wasn't wasn't that exciting at the time but um so so while that was happening I ended up um going through a few different phases I started off by wanting to play drums when I was about 10 I think um and my dad has like this this room that he calls a studio which is a garage really full of yeah. guitars and broken instruments and some really nice instruments too um but at that age he had he had like this really broken drum kit and I got really into the idea of playing it so I, I used to sort of play it a bit and then I had I had a few drum lessons I was really lucky to that my parents were so supportive um so I did I did that and then I, I kind of continued to try and play drums every so often and then it was only when I was about 13 and I was kind of more into these bands I was I was actually seeing that I really liked um I, it was when I started picking up a guitar and trying to figure out how to play it um I think I always wanted to play guitar but I felt a little bit like because my dad was so into the the idea of guitars he's there's quite a lot of guitars um that that it, he would kind of see it as like a sort of bonding thing if, yeah. if as, a, as a teenager I started playing it so I sort of tried to do it secretly um which didn't really work um but yeah I did that and then I also um spent quite a lot of time teaching myself piano or, or just like playing piano and I had some piano lessons but didn't get on very well with the teacher at all um, so I wanted to be better at piano than than I am um but but I don't play piano or a band or anything like that but so, so guitar kind of took over and I went to uni, I didn't really play that much um, initially when I moved away from home, but then, it, then after a while ended up getting the guts through friends to, to go and play some open mic nights, um, which I was really not, I, I had this like vision that I wanted to be a musician, like always, but I definitely did not have the guts to, to actually do it properly in front of people, especially singing. Um, so that took quite a while, um, but I knew I wanted to do it, but it was really hard at first. Yeah. So you're learning the guitar, you're sitting there, you're kind of keeping it a secret from your dad, but then he finds out and you're getting a kind of an idea of songs. You're probably like me, you were probably learning sort of some of your favourite songs. I remember sitting there learning stuff from 100 Reasons and Green Day and Pearl Jam and learning the stuff. At what point is it that you're then starting to write music? Because obviously that's a big difference than just sitting there playing some of your favourite bands' power chords. I definitely had this ambition of writing music. It was always, I kind of never remember not having this strange confidence inside me where I was like, yeah, one day I'll be a really good songwriter or like I'm capable of it, but I've just not kind of figured it out yet. I don't know, that, that sounds really pompous, but I remember when I first got Garage Band, when I don't know, it was about 15 or something like that. And it was, it was when I first got a laptop actually, because it had yeah. a, it was a Mac. It was like an old square white one, I remember. And I started recording in Garage Band using the, 
just the microphone on the laptop, um, which was actually weirdly, it has like this weird sound. If you like listen back to it, it's, it's not a good microphone, but it's, it's like way better than like the newer microphones on, on MacBooks. I don't know how it was like more analog or something. It's weird. Um, but, but I ended up doing a few, like I ended up trying to write loads of songs when I was about 15 or 16 and only really ever finishing about two or three, um, which I, I don't know if they're really any good. I've not ever played them for anyone, but I think I came across some of them recently and, and was like, yeah, there's a reason why I didn't finish that many, <laughs> but I can sort of still see what I saw in those songs, even though they're not kind of the best songs. But I feel, I feel like I had like this level of, this kind of quality filter even then, which caused me to never finish stuff. Yeah. But I did try. <laughs> and I got, around that time, I got like this small Vox amp, which I still have. It's called like a Pathfinder. Nice. Something. It's like, it's got like this overdrive button on it. Um, I didn't have any guitar pedals or anything like that. But, um, so I just used to use that and, and play and put, the, put, put it next to the laptop speaker, basically, on, on my bed. So it's just, just like next nice. to it. And then just like record like that. <laughs> it was funny. So were you in bands growing up or was um, obviously your time now uh, with false advertising the first kind of band you were in or would you, had you done the whole thing at college and done covers band or anything like that? Or No, I had one time band when I was about 17 that formed back in Didcot for my friend's birthday party. Right. Um, we were called the Penguins. Nice. And I played guitar and I sang in that, but we just did covers and I didn't really, I had this really hard time remembering the words. So I just wrote them all on my hands, like all over my hands. So of course I, I just didn't know what I was doing when I was actually playing. Um, but, but musically, I, I don't think we were that bad. And no. the other, the other people in the band were much better than me. Um, but that, so that was like this one time, few, like couple of practices and a sort of gig in front of our friends experience didn't have any other bands ever no. until I ended up starting a band with Chris and Josh from False Advertising Now um, and a drummer called Ian um, back in, I don't know how old, I, how old was I? It must have been about seven years ago. It was quite a long time ago now. Um, and so we ended up just basically playing loads of songs and we, Chris and I wrote some songs together. Chris and I had met through through like going to Leeds Festival through mutual yeah. friends and then also both playing open mic nights and then eventually forming like a open mic duo type thing. Um, so, we, so we ended up starting playing covers together, just the two of us, open mics, and then and then sort of sitting down and being like, let's let's write some songs and let's let's eventually form a band and then Chris, Chris knew Josh and Ian and then we ended up coming together and Chris and I both played guitar in that band. Um, so that was my first band really. And we played, I think we played three gigs, um, but they were like real gigs. They were, they were in Manchester and, and we played, where did we play? Uh, I remember we played what's now the zombie shack, which in, in Manchester, which, but, but but I can't remember what it was called before it was called the Zombie Shack. It was like a proper venue, which yeah. was kind of weird because we'd never I'd never done that before. 
and it was really really difficult <laughs> and I had I think we we had this conf confidence as a band and I just wasn't kind of ready to be a be someone who could like sing and play in time in front of an audience and yeah. kind of hear all the things you need to hear to kind of be a performer um successfully so it was a good learning experience we, I learned a lot from it I wasn't really ready I don't think and then when we when that band ended um we kind of went away and started again and Chris and I ended up starting false advertising and getting Josh back so by that time I think I was ready to be in a band because I kind of failed enough in another band and learned all the the pitfalls we we did this thing where we recorded one of our gigs through the soundboard in the first band and and I, I it was just like the worst experience of all time listening back to it so I, I learned to never that I had to be better and that to avoid that kind of thing from ever happening again and I think we deleted all the copies <laughs> I really hope that we have <laughs> So, so the three of you obviously f formed false advertising. How long was it you were actually in a band and kind of writing um, Brain Freeze as your debut album? Was it quite a few years? We started our band officially uh, in 2015, but we'd been together for a bit before that. We wrote and recorded an album before Brain Freeze, um, which we called False Advertising. Yeah. Um, before we had a band name or played a gig. So... So when we were like, when I said we were kind of getting ready, well, I was getting ready to kind of be in a band. We were we were going through this like write, writing and recording process. Then, so we ended up um, putting out like our first song in 2015 and putting out that album. And then, and then we put out a couple of EPs. Um, but the process of writing Brain Freeze has, or had gone on for quite a while because we started writing it, I think in mid 2017. Yeah, and then we started recording it at the beginning of 2018, but we kind of continued on and off um, for the best part of the whole of 2018. So it did take quite a while. It probably took about a year and a half. What was it that kind of delayed it? Was it the fact you weren't happy with it, or you're learning as you're going along, or becoming better musicians, or the songs weren't kind of taking shape, or what was it that kind of delayed it? It was mainly because we were working with our friend Luke at the church studios in the, with the kind of, we, we, we were doing, kind of trying to do it as cheaply as possible. And Luke was, who works at the church, was very kind to, um, and the, by extension the studio itself were very kind to us and let us use the downtime of the studio um, when we could in order to go in and record for free essentially. So. That held it up um, because we, there was only so many, so much free time that we could go in. Because the studio we were working was down in London, so we're up in Manchester, so that's that's difficult in itself. And then also Luke worked so hard in that studio. Everyone in that studio worked so hard. Um, so even, and on on the, any weeks they have off, I mean, I'm sure there were a few weeks Ken's when we wanted to go in, and Luke um, Luke was was quite rightly doing other things and yeah. stuff like that so it just kind of took a while and um a few times because we couldn't go in as much as we wanted so we did quite a lot of recording remotely in Manchester and sending sending stems down to Luke um and then so those were all of like varying quality <laughs> occasionally so we'd, we'd end up need, needing to redo stuff quite a few times and then some songs we ended up changing um 
a bit just through the process of working with a producer. Um, we a few songs we kind of restructured and and but but I think because we started the recording the record at the beginning of 2018, we tracked all of it live, just the three of us. So we had we basically put down the whole album live. So we had this this time to go away and like listen to rough mixes, um, and then obviously we could like add our own parts. I hadn't written all of my lyrics when we recorded the thing live because we knew we were going to overdub all the vocals, obviously. So it was stuff like we we really had time to kind of go away and, and add stuff on our own terms and then come back and sort of say what, what we wanted to change. Or I, I would send down like guide vocals and then end up re-recording them 10 times for different songs and stuff like that. So it was, it was just kind of this iterative process, but I don't think we ever, I mean, may, maybe when we went in for those first three or four days at the beginning of 2018 to track it, I think we probably all just thought, oh, it'll be done really quickly. We'll just work really quickly. And, you know, like you hear like Biffy, the stories of Biffy Clara going in and like recording their album really quickly and then spending like the rest of the time playing Nintendo 64 and stuff. We were like, oh, it's going to be like that. But, but no, we took our time. We, we didn't rush it. And, um, and the same with the release, really. We, we didn't rush that either. We, we, we waited to find a manager and um, we got PRS funding, which we were really lucky to get. And we also waited to find a label we didn't just do what we did with our first album. And um, well, I say first album, it's, it's, this is our first proper album, I, I would say. Um, but the album that we self-recorded and then we released when we became a band, that really helped us because it legitimized what we were doing at the time. And we had all these songs to play live and it helped us to develop as a live band. But this one, this one we wanted it to be right and we wanted it to sound as good as, as it could do. And we knew that because we were working in a studio, for the first time, we'd only ever recorded any any of our records kind of by ourselves, and then occasionally we a few singles we did with studios and producers along the way. But the majority of our work was completely self-recorded and, and self-produced, and then self-released. So we knew that this time we wanted to to, to do everything differently and, and try and try and use everything we'd learned and not kind of not kind of take the easy route, which we would have done in the past. We kind of realised the pitfalls um, that that being completely independent and not not collaborating with people can can lead you down, sort of. <laughs> Are you really happy now that it's done and it's out there? Because obviously it's such a big build up and it is kind of leaving your your name on the industry and it's, it's your statement, it's your debut album, which you're going to be known for. And it must be hard because you're on the inside, you're in the band itself, but as a listener. I was blown away by the quality. I thought as soon as I heard it, it sounded like, oh, this could be on Radio 1. It's not got that rough sort of demo-y sound. It's got like a really crisp at times. It's, it reminded me of like listening to Hole or Sonic Youth. It had that real fuzzy, really, really good produced sound. But at the same time, it had the roar of a live performance recording. Well, thank you. I think um, that's mostly down to Luke because yeah. <laughs> I think everything that we've done prior... Well, it's difficult to judge your own, like, yeah. something that, as you say, like, you've been so completely involved in. But I know that our, we, we kind of played to the strengths before we did the album of wanting to sound like a band that we were self-recording scrappy music in a garage kind of thing, yeah. because that's what, it, well, that's what it was. We didn't want to take it away from that because we knew that, it, well, we had a strong hunch that it would be very, very difficult to pull off something more expansive or, like, you know, like just something that wasn't as 
it, it couldn't be that controlled. So when we were in the studio, we, we immediately, we wanted to be that band, but we wanted to be that band with, with like that band kind of expanded, if you know what I mean? So yeah. we, we were still bringing our knowledge of, of self-producing. We we're still bringing our knowledge of, of how, like we, we did all of our demos for that album ourselves and we, we self-recorded all of those and we had those to hand as a reference. And if there was something in those demos that we particularly liked, we, we would be like to Luke, hey, the, the feel of the drums, even though they sound terrible in this demo, we kind of want them to sound, sound, sound intense or crushed in that way or, or whatever. So it was, it was useful to have had that previous experience because it, but, but we were definitely ready to hand over the reins to someone else. Yeah. But we, we weren't the kind of artists that kind of go into a studio and just sort of put our feet up and, and wait for everyone to, to sort stuff out for us. We were very much, um, very much trying to understand how, like, just from our experience, how that applied to, to the studio. Like, w what were the things we were doing before? Were they, were they even in the right ballpark <laughs> in the real world? It was, it was super, super interesting. And it was really, really inspiring to go in and work with such talented people who, who obviously are, are like world class in their field. It's yeah. kind of bewildering, really. And then, and then we also had the the feeling of, of feeling totally like inept <laughs> in the studio, just being like, "Why are we here?" Yeah, um, and stuff like that. So it was a roller coaster of emotions. But um, we definitely we couldn't have made that record without having the time to have iterated. And, um, and we really, we did have, a, like together with Luke, we, we shared loads of references of records that we really liked. Hole were definitely on that, that playlist. Um, I think Miss World was like the guitar yeah. sound when it comes in and stuff like that. So we had, we had a lot of, we thought very hard about how we wanted it to sound. And we were very lucky that Luke totally got it. He totally understood. He was on our wavelength. He's, we share so much, so many like favorite bands in common with Luke anyway. Um, he, he's, he's a massive Ruben fan, for example. I like um, him already. <laughs> yeah, he, he knows, he knows his stuff and he's an excellent producer and an excellent yeah. producer. So, um, so it's an absolute pleasure to, and we're very lucky that we, we, he wanted to work with us and he came along and asked us when, um, when, when we did, we managed to convince him to make an album as well. We were very yeah. lucky that all of those things happened to, to achieve Brain Freeze. And now the brain freeze is out there and you've kind of done it. Are you already in the stages of kind of thinking we need to do a follow-up at some point and obviously not leave it three or four years? Are you kind of, have you got that taste to kind of think, right, we're going to build on this? Totally. We were back in the church back in February and we've recorded a few more songs. I mean, because the, the album was basically being produced and, and record well it had been written by the beginning of 2018 we've been writing relatively constantly not with any like release in mind but we built up quite a sort of catalogue of ideas or at least we had um towards the end of last year when that album got released so we've been working through those and, and in february we went in and we recorded four new songs um and then since lockdown has been happening we've been working on finishing loads more ideas so so we haven't really regrouped I think originally we were we had all this these um live dates and, and festivals planned for this year so it seemed quite natural that originally the plan would be that we would release a single to support those and then potentially finish the new tracks as an EP but I think 
I think doing that probably still makes a lot of sense, but we paused, we paused kind of like the, the mixing process on that because we weren't really sure what we wanted to do just with the world being in its current state and um, really simple things like not being able to take press shots of the three of us all in one place and yeah. or record a music video. It's kind of sort of stumped us a little bit. So, so we ended up just sort of being like, hang on a second, um, what, what, what are we going to do? What's the best thing to do? So we're, we're still sort of wondering about that, but we're talking about um, obviously booking dates for next year and stuff like that. So there'll, there'll come a point where we'll just, we'll just be ready to put something out regardless of whether we can play live or not. I think um, it is kind of nice to have a bit of a pause, but the fact that we've now got more, more new material written puts us in a position that we maybe, maybe we should kind of consider not putting out an EP next or, or it gives us more options, I suppose. Um, but yeah, we'll um, we'll have to figure that out. It's a bo- boring answer, really. <laughs> you must you must be really eager to get back on the road. I mean, all these bands that have cancelled tours. I remember I had tickets this year for um, Faith No More, um, Incubus, uh, Black Peaks, mm. you guys. Everyone has oh. now pulled out of these tours and festival dates. Pulled oh. jam, and it's just like. It seems like so long ago now that I was stood with a beer watching a band play on stage, and it seems like when will I ever be able to do that again? It's it's it must be a really weird time. I mean, I've seen how you've used Facebook Live and been streaming and doing acoustic sessions and stuff like that, but it must have really, I don't know. It must have to be in a band right now must be a weird time. Yeah, I think speaking for myself, it's it's been all sorts of different times in one time there's there's been times where I've where I've sort of felt like oh there's no point in doing anything I don't feel inspired to ever write again and there's been times where I've been like well actually it's the perfect excuse to to try and finish loads of songs you can kind of go away and see like maybe try a keyboard on this song or like nice some electronic drums in it whereas before (laughs) I'd have just been like hey, I'm going to write this song and then we're going to rehearse it and then it'll be finished, kind of thinking about it. Because we can't really rehearse. We're not rehearsing. I don't, I've heard, of, heard that some bands are in our rehearsal studio. I've been down there quite a lot just working by myself. But, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think technically we're allowed to rehearse. So I think until the advice is that we're allowed to rehearse, we won't rehearse together. So, so yeah, it'll be interesting the day, the day when we're allowed to all meet up and play together again. Um, it'd be different if we all lived together, obviously, but, but we don't. Um, so the day that we're actually allowed to rehearse together, I think will be an interesting one because we'll have all of this, these kind of demos to look at and, and think about and that maybe don't literally sound just like three people playing in the garage. So it, it'll be interesting to see what we do next. I think, I think m- maybe we'll react to that. We're just being like, what is all this new stuff that sounds different? Let's just be who we were. Yeah. Or maybe we'll, we'll take on board some of those ideas and evolve. It's it's kind of difficult to say, but but I'm just I'm just trying to write as much as possible while I have time. <laughs> if I come to your show next year and you suddenly turn into Arcade Fire and you've got like nine people on stage and stuff, I'll be like, what the fuck happened, Jen? Like <laughs> you've gone from a free piece to this. <laughs> yeah, Hopefully, I don't think it'll be that drastic. No. <laughs> well, one of the things I was really blown away by is the fact that you got to play the Meltdown Festival. That must have been mind-blowing, playing alongside one of my favourite bands, Deftones and Nine Inch Nails, and 
you know, what was that like to be invited to play that? You must have been like, oh my God. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was. It was amazing. I was, I was freelancing in an agency, a design agency at the time, which involved me taking like the worst train of all time for like an hour. And it was like really hot. It was like this time of year, but like really hot, like a couple of years ago. And I can't remember what year was it? 2018? 2018. And I was just like sat on my phone on the way back, just like really hot in the, in like this bus train thing. Like they're called paces, really awful. But, um, and then I got this email and it's like, Robert Smith has asked you to play Meltdown Festival. Here is a attached message from Robert. And I was just like, what the hell? So I, I don't think, I, I think I just like started shaking and then like just screenshotted it because I couldn't read it. Like it was too hard to read because I was just like overwhelmed and, and just sent it on, on like a group chat to Chris and Josh. And I was like, is this real? And, and they were like, I think it is, Jen. I think it's real. So. So yeah, that, that was my experience of finding out. And then eventually I could read it and, um, and I was like, wow, that's so cool um, that Robert Smith has found our band and picked us to, well, asked us to play his festival. Of course we said yes um, yeah. immediately. And, um, and yeah, then when we actually got to go, it was just very surreal. We, were, we weren't playing the same day as Deftones or Nine Inch Nails, unfortunately, um, but I think I, one thing I do regret is not asking for like to be able to go to any of those shows and kind of coming down to London or sticking around in London during that week because I kind of really regret not not being more of not kind of seeing more of it or kind of yeah being more of a part of it than just the day we were there. Um, but it was an awesome thing to be a part of and be associated with. And Meltdown is amazing anyway. I've always looked at the lineups and think it's just a brilliant thing. And Robert Smith has such amazing taste in music that yeah. that, that was the icing on the cake, really. So I only have good things to say about that experience. Everyone there was lovely. The other bands we played with on the day, like Kagul, for example, were sick. Um, we stuck around for as long as we could that day before we had to drive back to Manchester. And people came and watched and we, we said hello to them and people were very nice. So... So yeah, all, all things, all thumbs up from me on that one. Very lucky. <laughs> that would be like one of the, um, like a frame post on my wall forever. That'd be like my, that's my moment. <laughs> Good point. I should do that. I yeah, do that. definitely. <laughs> and with loads of bands at the moment, I know it's a weird time, but hopefully we will be a time when we go to gigs and we get to go out and enjoy festivals again. But what advice do you give to those bands like yourselves that are trying to get established and get a real big name for themselves because the industry there's so many bands out there streaming services have obviously had a massive effect on things where people don't queue up and buy cds anymore um the world's really changed you know we were talking earlier about these albums we loved and buying them and the days of 100 reasons i remember queuing up outside our price and buying it on day one and buying the singles and everything but now it's just a oh it's on spotify i'll listen to it and it's quite disposable um what advice do you give to those bands that are starting out that want to be like you guys or the next Foo Fighters, etc.? I think, and this is something we've probably not always followed, but the, the longer that I write songs and I play them and I stay within, like I, I kind of work as a musician, 
the more I think that it's your strengths are come are going to come from you being yourself rather than trying to fit in with a certain uh, genre or like kind of like going out of your way to sound different I think the, the more excited I am about the music that I play the the more it's coming well and the more that other people seem to be excited by it is when it comes from the music that I generally genuinely like um and the music that genuinely inspires me so I think I think I'm kind of learning to be more be more receptive to my influences and not just kind of be like oh oh I'll just play a song that sounds like Nirvana because that's easier um yeah. which and and not, nothing wrong with Nirvana by the way um but but yeah I think we're trying to 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 kind of do stuff that excites us because yeah. that tends to 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 excite other people so I think my my advice would be a combination of be yourself be receptive to the ideas that you like in the world that you hear and also take the time to to kind of get yourself ready to to be a successful musician I suppose I think um a, a lot of people in our kind of world put stuff out or, or when they're starting out put stuff out because they're really excited about it um really quickly when they write things and I think one thing that we did which really helped us when we first started was we waited to put we've been recording for like a year and a half and and rehearsing for a year and a half before we put out our first song or played our first gig and in, in some ways that's bad but in other ways it we, we were really sure that we were ready with the song that we put out on the day when we started existing as false advertising on the internet um we were really sure that it was good enough and we'd we'd resisted the temptation to play it to all of our friends we'd resisted the temptation to to kind of share it on the internet before the day that we we had a a twitter profile instagram profile youtube page etc um and we were false advertising like the first time anyone heard that song was was the day that that we were properly able to represent what it was um so i think i think just really think through everything you're doing in terms of your band name your 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 visuals your the way it looks the way it's presented and i think I think if you can make sure the day that you launch your band that everything is cohesive enough to make sense to someone and you're easy, easily findable by journalists and things like that, then that's going to really work in your favour and you'll find that people, a lot more people are going to hear that song if, if you kind of do some really simple things rather, rather than put the song out and then make your Facebook profile and then yeah. make, make, yeah, just, just do everything in the right order and then, and then you'll learn. Because nothing's more exciting than when you first hear a band and you like them and they're brand new and it's like you're the first person that's ever heard them. That, that can really work in your favour if you get it right. So yeah. take your time. I appreciate your time. This no has time. been lovely. Um, but it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you today. Oh, thank <laughs> you so much, Mark. So there it is. There's my interview with me and Jen. What an awesome girl she is. What a great songwriter and an amazing vocalist, an incredible guitarist, an amazing pianist and just all round great person. So I'm really honoured to have her on the podcast and it's absolutely incredible when someone comes on and you have such a blast and kind of connect straight away and it just felt so easy talking and that's the best sort of interviews that I like doing. 
As you heard on today's episode at the start, I absolutely love the album by False Advertising called Brain Freeze. It's really fucking awesome. So you should go on Spotify or you should go on their website and buy it. I never ever get paid to do these podcasts and I never put them out to try and promote something. It's all because I love these people and this is an album I really did fall in love with from the moment I listened. So I really urge you all to go out there, check it out and tell me what you think. You know the score, you can go on markandme.com because on there there's my Facebook, my Twitter, my Instagram and also my email. So you can hook me up on there and let me know and I'll share those all with Jen as well because I know she'll be really interested and love the feedback to today's episode. If you really enjoy the podcast and you want to show some support, I do have a Patreon page. And thank you to all the new people that have signed up. I have a monthly draw on there where you can win some Funkos or signed CDs. At the moment, there's going to be lots of Alex Winter autographs and loads of rare stuff like that. I've got some great partnerships with Last Exit to Nowhere. Some really cool stuff up for grabs. But the best thing is that every penny you invest via the Patreon goes completely back into the podcast. I don't take any of this money for myself and it means I can invest in more gear, do these interviews and also host it on a big network so you can get it on stuff like Spotify, Podomatic and all that sorts of stuff. But there's a link on my website. You can go on there, sign up for as little as something. I think it's something like a pound a month, which is nothing. And honestly, it makes a huge, huge difference to the podcast. And I appreciate everyone that takes part and also contributes every month to this. I'm going to be back in like, I think about three days with a brand new episode because we've got loads going on at the moment. With lockdown, there's a lot of people available. So I'm taking advantage and doing as many interviews as I can. So thanks to everyone that's listened today. Like I said, go and check out the album by False Advertising now. You won't regret it. It's called Brain Freeze. And I'll be back in a few days with a brand new episode. Take care, everyone. Down at the bottom of the pond Among the birds and the bees I live a lot of little people They call the parting to bees They scream 